episode of Inside the Recording Studio. My name is Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? You're a madman, Jody. <laughs> what the heck was that? I know what you're going for. I'm doing well. I'm doing very well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing all right as well. I have something on the talk back today yes, that I would like to address real quickly. Dress it up. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Native Instruments had just rebranded their logo, redesigned their logo. Mm -hmm. And now I guess it just became obvious as to why they did that. Mm -hmm. And the merger that we heard so much about, was it six months ago, a year ago maybe? It was roughly of, around the beginning-ish of the year, maybe a little bit before that. Yeah, of Brainworks, Plugin Alliance, Isotope, and Native Instruments that merged under the banner of Soundwide. Yep. And I think we were all kind of holding our collective breaths here and see what that would actually result to. When now the rebranding has been rebranded of sorts, <laughs> it's not going to be called Soundwide. It's now going under the banner of Native Instruments. Yeah. What to make of that? In what regard? Well, is it good for consumers? Is it good for the business in general? I guess the, the, the thing basically was that they felt that Native Instruments more of a name recognition. And that's obviously true. I don't think there were many people that were like, oh, what the heck is Soundwide? But with all of these sort of giant mergers that are happening, I'm starting to feel a little bit uneasy about them. And mm. I'm not... I don't have my tinfoil hat on. It's nothing like that. But it seems like when companies get larger and larger, it usually doesn't end well for the consumer. I've heard the inside stories on other big mergers, and I would agree with that statement. Yeah. I don't know if the average consumer would notice the difference as much, if you understand what I mean on saying yeah. it. For those that are a little bit more astute or their palettes a little bit more fine-tuned, it might make a difference. Yeah. I'm just considering the value of things here. Now, they're obviously touting this as as any merger does. It's like, oh, we're going to share technologies and this, that, and the other thing. It would be great because we can market together and all of those sayings that they should say. Mm -hmm. I think on the surface, it, it, this sort of three-company merger kind of makes sense because they kind of have different specialties, I would say. Yeah. Like with a, the modeling of, you know, with Brainworks and Plugin Alliance and the more, in my opinion, the machine learning stuff that Isotope do really well, mm -hmm. especially with like RX and stuff. Right. And then obviously the whole sampler instrument vibe from Native Instruments. It right. sounds like it would make sense of like a big thing, but... I'm not so sure because I see warning signs. I'm a big Plugin Alliance user and I love their plugins. Mm -hmm. But one thing that scares me is that none of the Brainwork stuff has been ported to the Mac M1 chip yet. The Apple Silicon style. Right. And, you know, at the time of taping here, I hope I end up eating my words in like a month. It's not <laughs> something that's pressing for me. I'm actually still on an Intel machine. But the next machine I get, it's going to be Apple either the M1 or M1. Yeah, right? And yeah. when that hasn't been done in, what's it been now, a couple of years? Well, if you look at it from the standpoint of 
They were going to make their complete transition in two years' time. They failed miserably on that. It's almost three years at this point. And okay, but that, where they that failed makes... on it is the fact they didn't have the Mac Pro. And they've, of course, now announced the Mac Pro for the Apple situation. Thus, the Apple transition to Apple Silicon is now, quote-unquote, complete. Obviously, there are still a lot of people running Intel machines, but there is no forward OS that will run on it other than Monterey. Right, but I'm thinking that makes the case even worse for something like Plugin Alliance because they haven't done it in like three years now. Yeah, kind of crazy. So I can't think of another major plugin manufacturer that hasn't. I'm... I'm at a loss. See, not, there's a I big gap. To, I, here's the reason right. why I have not been paying as much attention to it. I'm still on an Intel machine. Now sure. that they've announced the new Mac Pros and the right. new Mac Studios, obviously I'm eyeing which way I'm going on that direction in the near future. I'm not there yet, but I will be before the end of this year. And when I do that, that's when I need to care more. <laughs> I guess, yeah. To me, it's like it... it Brings up little warning lights. Like, yeah, it oh, does. Okay, what, what's happening here? Well, but anyway, hopefully so it means that Native Instruments and Isotope will actually share the technology, quote unquote, that BX could get on board with getting their stuff to be silicon native. I guess I don't know. It's just one of those things. I'm. I, it makes me a little bit weary. There are other examples I can bring up that I'm not going to do just out of courtesy now because I don't want to be a giant bitch fest for 20 minutes. <laughs> when these mergers happen, I am. Generally, a little bit weary when that happens. And this is another one of those. This is just a rebranding of the name. It just got me thinking about all these things again. So I just kind of wanted to bring up and Well, the go famous out and movie quote goes, don't think, it makes my dick itch. <laughs> all right, Foley. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but what anyway, are we really I guess talking about today? We're, we're going to talk. We're going to make a case for clipping, uh-huh. clipping audio. Mm-hmm. That's probably an odd thing to say, but that makes sense with the intro because you probably made everything clip when you did the introduction here today. I sure so, did. <laughs> well done for you. But, but I, clipped, uh, I clipped on an analog situation. That was not digital clipping when I did that. Right. Maybe we should start off with a little bit of the origins of clipping and how this came to be. Because I think today when we're talking about clipping, we're probably meaning something else that where it originally kind of came from, okay. I think. Essentially, what clipping was from the get-go is driving too much voltage into analog gear. Which right? is that what I it, just did with the volume of the microphone that I was saying the intro into. I gave right. it so much volume, I was driving the diaphragm too hard, and that got that kind of clipping. That was not digital clipping. That was analog microphone clipping. Right. Engineers at the time obviously discovered that, hey, this could sound kind of pleasing, right? So when we do this. If it's done right. If it's done right, of course, yeah. And this became a feedback loop then because manufacturers of gear, they realized that engineers are doing this, so they started putting efforts into making this even more pleasing or having more control of this. So now when we think about driving a console or anything, we get that, what we now refer to as like overdrive or or distortion, Uh right, in severe cases. So that's sort of like the background of it. This whole sort of technology gave rise to 
overdriven guitar amps and that, and things that we just take for granted today. But that's a little bit of a history lesson. Mm-hmm. Today, we're talking digital clipping. Very different stuff right there. Right. Very different So stuff. maybe describe what digital clipping is to you, Jody. As I know it, digital mm-hmm. clipping is when you have taken a sound signal source and run it so far into the max headroom of whatever it is you're working in that it starts lopping off the quote-unquote mountains of data, so to speak. So instead of having nice peaks, sine wave-looking peaks and valleys, it's the exact opposite. It's now got like all the way up to a certain point where it hits its digital limit, and then it's a flat line until it comes back down off the digital limit. And that can be terribly annoying if done poorly and early digital recording had massive issues with this because you had to record loud to not hear the digital noise floor but you also didn't want to get so loud that you hit right into the limit of what the digital gear could even do you had a fine small sweet spot of a window in there in order to do that Today, we don't have the same issue in that regard. No, certainly not as much. But anybody would know the, the sound if you've done this. And mm-hmm. imagine like you're running your DI guitar way too hot into your interface, for example. That is not a pleasing sound. It's a sound, but it is a sound. <laughs> but it's not, not a, a very sound. good one. So, so that's what I think most people think about when they think about digital clipping where mm-hmm. you just run that off and, and it's not nice. It's not a pleasant sound. Now it's so, chalkboard. Right. We have today two different types of clipping where we can actually use this in, in some useful ways. And that would be hard clipping versus soft clipping Okay, in the digital realm. The hard clipping does just exactly what you described. It, it reaches that peak and it just lops everything off. Yep. There's no and more peak. It's suddenly a mesa on top of your mountain and in your valley. <laughs> right. I don't want to say it's necessarily limiting you know, that we talked about last week, right? With compression and limiting. It's a similar kind of a thing, but but the way the limiter works is that it actually compensates and just kind of squashes that, right? right. Here, it just gets lopped off. It's just and- gone. It's no compensation for it, and it would make, obviously, very, very aggressive sound. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially the digital clipping, right? It does add a bunch of harmonics to the signal as well. So as odd as it sounds, it can be a really useful thing for things like sound design or if you're doing more experimental stuff. Mm-hmm. And other things that we'll talk about later on in the application. So it's not that it's just completely unusable in this way, but if you're dealing with things that, that are going to be like loud, like industrial music or EDM or anything, this is a technique that we can actually do. In my experience, it can actually work quite well on certain types of material. I'm thinking predominantly percussive material. Mm-hmm where the chopping off of those peaks is not necessarily as audible. We're just getting a more, we're getting a louder signal, aren't we, out of it. We we have the potential of just kind of like raising it a little bit more. 
and that hints to another application that we do even down the line. But how often do you actually deal with clipping in your mixing or in your workflow? Is this something that you do every once in a while, never, or yeah, every mix, man? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take it. You mean hard clipping because you haven't. Hard clipping, yeah, clipping, yeah. Right? Soft clipping we'll deal with in a bit here. I avoid it at all costs. Unless okay. it's designed into the sound that I'm dealing with, I avoid hard clipping at all costs. I There was a point in time where I dealt with it for an entirely different reason, and it was on the mastering side of things. In terms of mixing, I don't. I avoid it at all costs. I don't think it's worthy for yeah. players to deal with unless it's part of the sound design like you just mentioned. Otherwise, there's no... No desire for me to run volume that hard, that aggressive, to lop off the tops. Yeah, but I'm saying from a, you mentioned like sound design things. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about not necessarily running the level that hot, but using clipping in a plugin form. Let's say something like Isotopes Trash. Yeah, I don't look at that as hard clipping though. But I it depends on the- as a clipping Thing that is done more like a distortion that is emulative of analog gear. It's not well, the same to me. No, but it depends on the curve that you do, though, in isotope. To me, at least, because you can have a really aggressive squared off curve, and that's sure. essentially what you're getting. Mm -hmm. I guess it's not Sound something design. that you, yeah, it's not something that you generally do. Okay. Right. Yeah, and no, as, as hard clipping in the original intent of hard clipping by forcing volume to make it happen. That's sure. just not something I do. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's... I'm guessing you do. I don't. I do every once in a while. Different forms. More, obviously, with the soft clipping that we'll talk about in a minute. But the hard clipping, I find, can be effective on individual tracks. Most useful, I would say, on kicks and snare, things like that, mm -hmm. that can use it. And then I've actually done it, but it has to be obviously dependent on the context of what it is that you're doing. If I'm doing like a pop song, maybe if it's aggressive enough yeah. and I just want that super loud type of a thing. But any time that you're going for more of a um, air quote traditional style of music, mm -hmm. it's probably not something I reach for as the first thing. The hard thing anyway, but but it, it can be done. It can be done. And speaking of traditional things, let's take a word from our sponsors. And we're back. Now we're going to talk about the other side of the clipping spectrum, otherwise noted as soft clipping. What is soft clipping, Chris? Well, soft clipping almost like the name implies, it doesn't just necessarily lop off anything above that threshold, but instead it starts applying the clipping a little bit sooner, the way I understand it. So it allows for more of a rounded curve. Mm -hmm. If you imagine the sound wave that you're looking at, mix with your eyes, people. Now, <laughs> uh, He's joking, no, but, of course. Right, yes. It creates more of a pleasing as opposed to a full-on clipped nine-inch nails kind of aggressive sound, mm -hmm. right? It's still clipping the audio, but it's more pleasing. It's a lot more useful in a lot of ways because you can still get 
a more level out of it if that's your goal, but you're also adding just a little bit more of a pleasing distortion using mm -hmm. soft clipping. Soft clipping so, also has less harmonics than hard clipping. Right. It's not as abrasive to my ear. That's a, a little bit more of a pleasing distortion, I would say. We can use this for sound design and things, but anything where you just want to add a little bit more grit to it. Yeah. I, and that's where I, I think of trash. I mean, obviously trash can go into the really ridiculous distortions and clipping modules that they have in there. And then another one that's really good for this as well is FabFilter Saturn does this very well. Yeah, I don't have that one, so I can't speak for that one. But I know that trash, it can be as deep as you want it to be, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's anything that you can do with with your audio. What are some of the cases where you might use soft clipping then? Anytime I feel like I need to add a little bit of energy to a part or instrument, vocal, what have you, I will use some sort of soft distortion to add value to that. Mm. And so, I think of soft clipping more as like a normal distortion as a guitar player might from an amplifier or pedal of that sort. I don't drive it the same way. And do I use trash and Saturn in methodologies where it becomes more sound designy? Yes. But generally speaking on the average mix, I'm thinking more along the lines of light distortion, soft clipping type nature. I'm with you there, although not theoretically the correct or right thing. Mm -hmm. I think of them the same way, where it gets just a little bit more of a pleasing distortion. That's essentially what's happening, right? It's interesting that you mention vocals there, because yep. that's, that's something that I do as well, where it can really bring out a little bit more attitude in yeah. the vocal, I find. Do you have any favorite tools that you like to use for that? Do you, besides trash, do you, do you actually use trash on vocals if you just want a little bit? Or do I you have, go a different route? Generally, when I use trash, it's for more of a sound design nature. So it's going to be a more hardcore situation. There are separate ways that I will do this for vocals. And some of them are distortion related and others are driving gear with improper gain structure related. Yeah. Sometimes I will use the 1176 to push it and yep. then pull back the output. So it's getting the attitude of going in hard on the 1176, but I'm not pushing the volume at the output. Are you, when you're doing that, are you bypassing the, the compression stage then? Or are you just using Sometimes. it as a color box? Yeah. It depends on how hard it's being pushed. Sure. Then I can do the same thing with the LA2. I can do the same thing with a Fairchild. So often I will use some sort of emulated compressor to do it. And if I'm not doing that and I'm trying to get even more into that realm where it's really trying to add harmonics and character, I will likely throw the UA raw pedal on it, which mm -hmm. is a recreation okay. of a rat pedal. Oh, all right. Yeah. One plugin that I like for this, and this goes has a few more belts and whistles than just, you know, adding saturation. Mm -hmm. It is Logic's clip distortion. Yeah, that's a good one. What I like with that one is that you have filtering in there as well, so you can even narrow it down to we're just clipping a certain band, and some nice little EQ options there as well. So there's another that, company that does that really well. It's Big Clipper from Boz Digital Labs. You know, mm. he is in the same boat where he has not gone Apple Silicon native. 
hard to say how long that's going to be useful for. But that one yeah, does but it really he, he's well. He's a one-man operation as well. He is, but he does that so, clipping thing extremely well with the big clipper is what it's called. Right. And that's another yeah, one that I, I will use. Yeah. I haven't used that one so much. Soft clipping, obviously, to sort of circle back, I think to me it is a way more usable thing. And that gets, on my mixes, get used a fair bit. And, I think it's um, more common to oh, use definitely. soft clipping over hard clipping for sure. Sure. Let's move into the biggest use of, of clipping that I think people think of today in their mm -hmm. productions. And that would be on the mastering side of things where we're looking at volume. And all of the loudness warrants seems to have sort of faded away, thankfully. I would hope. <laughs> yeah. What did Andrew Shep say? It's like, yeah, the loudness wars is over and I won. <laughs> <laughs> Death Magnetic, Metallica. Yeah. It is still used there just to kind of get a few more dB out of things, right? And one way that this kind of started, and this is something that I think both you and George Leger discovered. It was an accident on George's part that I berated him on <laughs> that got it into this realm of, so to speak. And what it was is he mastered a track for me and it came back frighteningly loud. But it didn't sound awful and it didn't sound distorted and it still had dynamics in some weird form despite the fact that the waveform didn't show it. And it had everything mm. to do with he made a mistake when he exported the track as the mastering session went. And he exported it analog out and brought it analog back in but at a volume level that caused quote-unquote clipping. It was just way too hot. But you couldn't hear the distortion in a sense, and it retained a lot of the dynamics even though the waveform didn't show it. And it was a way that I was mastering for a while. And you could get masters stupid loud that way. It's just right. you don't need to do it anymore. <laughs> so I well, stopped doing no, it. Yeah, because I think it's when everything is – just about going to streaming these days, mm -hmm. right? It's less of an issue for that. And I mean, you know, we mentioned the loudness wars, but everything when it was like going to CD and stuff, yeah, people was, wanted it You needed really it loud, loud, but you didn't need it distorted when it goes to that because then you get digital errors in the writing of the audio of files and stuff in that nature. So don't do it if you're going to CD in a sense. Otherwise, you get unknown artifacts when you recreate the darn thing off your master. That being said, what does happen, even though I said there were dynamics, it flattens everything out. The depth of everything disappears. And that's the unfortunate thing of pushing the clipping to achieve loudness. You lose depth drastically. And if I compare a mix done in that format of a master where it goes out analog and back in analog, with a volume level that causes clipping, but you don't really hear it, and bring that down to, say, minus 14 LUFS to a mix of the same song done with minus 14 LUFS, and it still has all the dynamics left in it, so to speak, without being lopped mm -hmm. off, there is a massive depth difference. Yeah. Massive. Right. It is well, but really obvious. <laughs> Even yeah. though they're the same volume level, it's obvious. Right. But that was... One of the things that I think um, we all started noticing when things were getting mastered hotter and hotter and hotter. Yeah, there's no depth. How not only that, but it 
brings on like ear fatigue when you listen because they the dynamics are just gone yeah. now. There are no peaks and valleys in, in the song, so it's just it's just a constant barrage of noise, noise, sound. Right? <laughs> just coming at you. Yeah. yeah, it's not necessarily always a pleasing thing. But all that being said, though, today is like it kind of has brought us to a point where even hard clipping is done very transparently today in the right hands of people. It can so be if we, that way, yeah. yeah. So I'm saying like for, for somebody like Ruben Cohen, right, that we had on, mm -hmm. right, in his hands, it's going to work just fine because he knows what he's doing. Yes. There's a certain amount of clipping that goes on with just the peaks. And if they happen fast enough, you're probably not going to hear it. Yeah. Right. And that's the reason why it works better on percussive materials. Like if you're just, I mean, play a keyboard pad that's just there and clip it and you're going to get a result that's not going to be very pleasing. Now, it might be cool, but <laughs> if you take that concept of an entire mix, it, it's going to ruin it. Yeah. Right. So, again, the sound design thing there. But if you have percussive hits that hit and you're just lopping off on it, it's really, really fast you can bring things up to a certain level and still be relatively transparent. I mean, I mentioned and gave him a little grief at the top of the show here, but Brainworks has a true peak clipper. Right. That's just for mastering it. And it's, it's a good one. Do you a have a one. favorite clipping plugin? I do. I'm actually going to mention it twice here because it's going to be my Friday find as well. Oh, <laughs> but I mentioned others for this sort of soft clipping thing with like, Clip distortion logic and things. I mentioned isotope as well, the trash. Right now, I really like a plugin called Saturate from a company called Newfangled Audio. Mm -hmm. I've been messing around with that one a little bit this week, doing some research for the show and stuff, and I found that I I really liked it. It's relatively simple to use. You can go deep in it. You have a crossfade of between soft and hard clipping. So it changes the curve that it applies. Sure. Then it's just a matter of how hard you want to drive it and obviously compensate for the output. So you're not just like, oh, it's loud, it's great. I got really good results without working on things that I mentioned 10 times already, like kick and snare and that kind of thing. Sweet. But even on keys. So I would say that for right now, that would probably be my favorite. Okay. Uh, what about you? Well, you've already asked, and I'm going to mention two. UA's raw which is mm -hmm. more of a distortion pedal, and the other one being Big Clipper from Boz Digital Labs. Those are the two. Okay. And Boz right. Digital Labs is very in-depth in terms of what you can and how you go about clipping and distorting things. Raw is more of a straight-up distortion pedal, but it has an insane amount of gain that you can, can wield in a very weird way, I guess is a good way of saying it, just when you're not putting it on guitars. Right. So put it on your master fader and just crank that sucker, <laughs> Crank the right? Jesus out of it. And with that, we're going to move on to our variety finds. Chris, you've already kind of mentioned, what is it? Yeah. It, saturate. Again, newfangled audio. It's been sitting in my plugin folder for a bit. As I mentioned, doing some research and experimentation for this very episode, I found it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that has to be my Friday find Saturate again from Newfangled Audio. And what about you? 
What do you I'm have? going with the nerdy crap today, and that nerdy awesome. crap is is MIDI 2.0 specifications have now been published, and it is 350 pages long. Let's I saw hope, that. Yes. Let's hope that this leads to the MIDI 2.0 revolution actually taking hold. I am really interested in this happening just because of the sheer mind-boggling difference it's going to make in playing software instruments and mixing in that it will sound smoother and more realistic like an actual instrument or console at this point. I take this as a really good step. It's a lot of information that oh, yeah. a lot of companies had to agree upon, mm -hmm. right? Terminology and all of this. For me, the, the 2.0 thing would be more interesting, not so much actually with sample instruments and things and actually performance, because it's not something that I've like, oh, I wish I had more velocity layers. That, that's not something I've been thinking about. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to things like MIDI controllers yeah, and stuff. That's where I'm going with that. It needs to be a lot more in depth in the number of steps, quote unquote, that you can get in there. Over 16,000, I think, instead of 127. So it's a lot more realistic in the touch and feel that you would get out of MIDI 2.0. To me, that's, that's the interesting part and see what happens there. Yeah, that's a good step. Have you read all 350 pages? Hell no. <laughs> I'll leave that to, to the guys at Roland. Right, yeah. That's I'll leave that to the guy Roland. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Right. So right. while we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You'll need to be on said email list in order to be eligible for any future giveaways. And we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this insanely awesome podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word clipping, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page, and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a good one, Jody. <laughs> <laughs>